Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast brought to you by Red Army Bet, a betting site with a difference. Not only are we offering the best available odds on a United win, we've also got exclusive special bets created by Reds. And as we share half our net profits with the United supporters community, no matter what, the fans can always end up winning. Check out our website, redarmybet.com, or download the app, Red Army Bet. About fans, by fans, for fans. Okay, let's go. Just make a start, yeah, yeah. Right, can you hear me? As we say, we're going to be hearing from some United players today. We've got Lee Sharp, from United player Lee Sharp's with us. We've got Bojan Jordic, she's with us as well, from United player. And we've got the United Stand lads. We've got editor Andy Mitten, who started the fanzine. We've got Ant Shaw, who's in charge of selling the magazine. <laughs> We've got Steve Armstrong, who contributes, presents the podcast, sings the theme tune, does the lot. And we've got the longest-serving contributor, Dave Goddard, as well, last but not least. So, pass that mic along. Okay, thanks for joining us here in Bergen. This is the latest edition of the United We Stand podcast and it's going to be broadcast tomorrow. It'll be listened to by tens of thousands of Manchester United fans. We do this podcast after every single Manchester United game, home away, friendlies, all around the world. And this is the first time we've tried a, a semi-live one. So we're going to have some audience interaction once we finish the podcast. We're going to have some questions and answers from you uh, as well. Um, This will last about 40 minutes, so we've got some decent (laughs) opinions. We've obviously got some really switched on people here. I think the first thing we should do is talk about the game that we've just seen, that absolute classic, and whether we think that Marouan Fellaini is now a serious contender for for Footballer of the Year, European Footballer of the Year. (laughs) Lee Sharp. Messi, Ronaldo, Fellaini. Uh, do you know what? Um, that sounds absolutely awful. But uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a massive Fellaini fan. But I'll tell you what. He does a great job at what he does. Um, he scores. He scores important goals. He causes trouble. Uh, Defences don't like to play against him. Uh, and I think he's a great impact player. And he's, he's done. A, he's done a great job again today. Bojan. My honest opinion about Fellaini. If I'm going to be honest, for me, he's never been a Manchester United player. Because if you play for me, you don't need to clap. It's my opinion. Some people might disagree. But for me, Manchester United is a holy club. We have world-class players that actually can receive a ball, play a ball, see a pass. He gives you a plan B option. But why do we have to go to plan B? Why doesn't starting 11 play the football we used to be seeing? The way City probably plays, I know I don't want to swear here. But they've been head and shoulders above everybody else this season. Their movement off the ball, the way they transfer the ball from the defence to the midfield, onto the strikers, everybody feels apart. And that second half I saw here today, I almost wanted to go home. One shot on target, everything through the middle, no ideas. I work for Swedish television now, I can be quite critical, but I've grown up with Manchester United that actually takes games to other teams all the time. Excites me. When I leave Old Trafford or when I go to bed, I'm happy. I'm not that happy anymore, even if it's a progress from last season when we finished sixth, now we're second. But are we happy with that? Are we going to be happy with an FA Cup just for a title? We're not Arsenal, really. So people need to start getting at demands and starting f- stop finding excuses. You when you play for the greatest clubs, Andy, you need quality. That's my honest opinion. You can't spoil this Fellaini party. We're all buzzing five minutes ago. Uh, I know, I know, but I saw him behind me as well. It's, okay. Car- it's like Carlos Valderrama as well. I, I appreciate what you're saying. Uh, Steve Armstrong, we'll come to you next. Manchester United have just done a double over Arsenal. They've beaten Tottenham last week. They're going to do a double over Chelsea when they win the FA Cup final. They've taken four points off Liverpool. They've gone to City and smashed City. Go on, why are we all so miserable, Steve? Um, I don't think we are miserable. I think we've just got very, very realis- realistic expectations of what being a Manchester United fan is all about. And that 
bar has been set exceptionally high, particularly in the sort of previous two or three decades. So that's all, unfortunately what you have to aspire to do, and that's how it works. So when the bar gets set high in any walk of life, whether it be football, whether it be business, whether it be in anything, you have to achieve a standard that's been set of expectation. Otherwise, people will go somewhere else and people will just stop doing and, and coming to you. So I think that's the important part here. What I believe in, in terms of where United are is, is I completely agree here with where United should be. But at the same time, I don't think you'll, you should lose sight of where United were when Jose Mourinho took over what was a pretty broken Manchester United. It was ruined. It was in a heap. And it wasn't a healthy place. And he deserves all of the credit in the world for that. So let's not lose sight of where we've come from and got to. But that isn't good enough for Manchester United. So yes, it's progress. But ultimately, it's nowhere near where we want to be. We are head and shoulders behind a team who I despise more than anybody else, and that's Manchester City. Right? We're even playing worse football than a team who I also don't like very much, and that's Liverpool. So the omens aren't particularly great. Manchester United can't be satisfied with last-minute winners of goals where the scorer didn't really know what was happening in front of him. Right? We can't really be relying on that. Despite the thrill of it, it was exciting and it was good to see it happen that way. But that's not good enough because ultimately Liverpool could potentially be about to win a European Cup and Manchester City have won the league by about 20 points. And that ain't good enough for Manchester United. So, as I said, I think we all understand where we've come from and how much progress we've made. But our goals have got to be a lot, lot further on than where they are currently. Uh, Dave Goddard, can you give us a full tactical breakdown of both Arsenal fullbacks from this game, please? Just, well, that, as you just know, over Andy, 20, I was, I was 30 glued minutes. to the screen uh, for 90 minutes. But what I thought was very interesting, and I'll come to the fullbacks later was before the game we saw Alex Ferguson on the pitch presenting Arsene Wenger with a memento of how friendly they obviously have always been and the respect they've had for each other, which we know goes back a long way and they've always loved each other. But it, it made me think of that game uh, at Villa Park in 99, the semi-final of the FA Cup, probably the greatest game of football possibly ever played on English soil. Um, the most exciting, two teams going for it, quality players in every position, chances, penalty saves, pitch invasions by people not very far away from here. Um, and, and, and of course, you watch that today and you're thinking, how, how far away, in, in 20 years, how far we've, we've fallen, where we now, in the late 90s, maybe a bit early, we played Wimbledon and we're now starting to resemble that Wimbledon side where you just lump it up to a big man up front. And it, if he knew that was going in the back of the net, I mean... It just hit the back of his head and went in. But, like Steve said, you know, the mess that, you know, it took Alex Ferguson 20-odd years to build up what he did at Manchester United. It took Mezzers, Moyes and Mangal a couple of months each to destroy it. And Jose Mourinho's been left to pick up the pieces. Obviously, he's won two trophies, well, three if you count the charity shield. Three pieces of silverware last season. Hopefully, he wins another one this season. So, and we've we finished, whatever, 69 points last season. It's progress, but I just wish he'd embraced the, the history or the tradition of the way Manchester United have played in the past and wingers. We, we were talking earlier, we've got some of, the, some of arguably the best players in the world, but they don't seem to trust them to be able to play with flair. Just go out and enjoy yourself. Play with a smile on your face. Go past players, put crosses in, take shots. Pogba tried to back heel it. Someone fell over his own came off his own shin and he fell over on the edge of the box. I mean, it just it's just very messy and we seem to have a great result like against City and Tottenham last week and then we go back to that West Brom game was, you know, that picture that I'm sure a lot of you have seen of a guy asleep at Old Trafford with his mates who put four cups on top of his head while he was asleep while the game was going on. That's <laughs> That pretty much sums up uh, some of the football we, we're having to endure at the moment. Uh, Anthony, you got a season ticket, you go to all the games, you're a regular on this podcast. You're not always the most optimistic, happy person that we have on the podcast. And I did see you looking slightly frustrated at several points in that game. Paul Pogba got the goal. How do you feel about Pogba? How do the people who sit around you at Old Trafford feel about Pogba? He's clearly prodigiously talented, but hasn't quite worked out for him enough this season. Yeah, I, I don't really... Well, I wanted to start on a positive, really, because I, I was really happy with the result, but... I'm not happy with the performance. Um, I think there's far too many, what Bojan said earlier, there's far too many players passing the ball and then standing still. 
um, not driving you know, towards the opposition. I think the only player that impressed me today was uh, Matic and maybe Ashley Young because he kept at it. Um, I'm, in terms of Pogba, he's you know one week you can watch him and you you know you you understand everything about him like that he can be a world class player, but he's not good enough for you know one in four games. And when he was falling over on the edge of the box, he's not getting up. He's waving his arms around while he's on his backside, and it's just not you know the United players that I've been used to um, saying. Now he is young and he you know he can learn that, but it, it's very frustrating to see how much he stands still during the game. And some of the United players today, I just thought they, they felt like they just had to turn up. Arsenal had picked um, players that weren't, you know, don't don't appear often. They, they had a, an attitude, the same attitude as they did against West Brom. And although they got there in the end, because they, you know, they, they they looked like they tried to force the issue for about ten minutes, um, it, you can't be happy with that performance, especially after um, there were so many positives against Spurs. And, and that's been the story of the season. You know, you, you're up one week because United have played well, and then it's always the case. The, the, the following week, you know, you you're really miserable after like 80 minutes. Yeah. Lee, which of these Manchester United players would you love to play with? You played with some great, great players. Are any of the current team great? Uh, yeah, I think I think they can be. I think I think sometimes you you, you get a you know you know the the manager's instructions can sometimes stifle. Uh, the, the forward thinking and attacking thinking players. I think the manager's always been a very defensive minded coach. Um, and I think a lot of the time in the back of the players' minds, it's like we've got to keep a clean sheet and got to defend before, you know, one of Alex Ferguson's best sayings that, that I remember was you've got to take risks to win football matches. And I don't think this team particularly take a lot of risks. <clears throat> and I think you could see that in the way that our team played. We were a risky team. We, we took risks in the right areas at the right time. And, uh, and, yeah, I definitely think there's some there's some top players. I'd, I'd love to play with a load of them. But uh, which ones? Who'd you like? Pick I, 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 I love Pogba. I think Pogba's. Uh, I know. He, I know he's got his his critics and he's up and down in form. But I think. But I think someone of the the way he plays the game, the way he tries to look for a, a, a tough pass, and he's always looking at and he's very imaginative and sees things other people don't. So when he does try things, that it doesn't come off all the time. Um, I think Matic is is a, a, a top top player. Uh, I'd love to see more of Martial and, and Rashford on the pitch. I think they had a, a little bit of an explosiveness and, and some um, super pace into the team. Uh, they're dynamic, they're quick, they're, 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 they're direct. Uh, and I think they should be playing every week. I think, um, I think Sanchez has, has struggled a little bit since he's come. Um, and, and Mata, I, I don't know how Mata doesn't get into the team most weeks because he's, he's been fantastic when he's played. So there's still some fantastic players. And like I said, it's probably at the back of the mind that the manager has a defensive edge rather than this gung-ho, let's just go for it and, and let's go and win 4-3 rather than try and win 1-0. Does he deserve more time? Is he the man to take Manchester United forward, Jose? Uh, I don't know. It wouldn't have been my first choice uh, because of the way he plays, because of his defensive mindedness. He's never really gone to a team and, uh, and, and sort of exploded and, and, and gone and scored three and four every game like, uh, like some managers and some teams have. Uh, I understand that he was good at the, for for the timing when we weren't in Europe and he could still bring big names into the into the club. Uh, I think he's done a great job there. Um, but going forward, uh, I'm not sure that it's in Jose's mentality to play this open, freestyle, in um, attractive football. And, and and I think if that's what United fans are looking for, uh, then I think they might they may have to start looking down a different avenue for for a manager. Um, we're recording this from Bergen and most of the people listening will not be in Bergen. Chettle, you, you run the supporters club here. Just tell us a little bit about it. How many members do you have? How many United fans live in this area? Um, around four and a half thousand. But United have not played here since when, 98? 98, yeah. You go correct. to that game? Yeah. Yeah? Meet any of the players? Yeah. Go on. <laughs> well, um, the, the story is that... Um, uh, when I, when I was uh, when I was uh, a bit younger, <laughs> um, I I was studying and uh, to in my spare time to earn some money, I was a taxi driver. So uh, in I think it was in '98, yeah. uh, Man United was uh, here and playing against a local team called Asko Bron, and. Um, they lost four 0 or something like that against Man United and. Uh, I, I was working uh, at Sunday and Man United was going back home and 
I, I got the call from the, the central that uh, they said to me, uh, can you drive to uh, this and that uh, hotel and pick up uh, three persons? Yes, sure, no problem. And <laughs> and to my surprise, it was the it was uh, um, the uh, the Neville brothers, <laughs> and it was Beckham. And I said, "What? What the fuck?" <laughs> so, so th they got up late, and you <laughs> had to take them to the airport. Yeah, and they, they stayed over, uh, maybe stayed sleepover. So, uh, to, um, did they? Did they give you? A, did they give you a tip? No. Ah, oh, they're sorry, <laughs> bastards. <laughs> <laughs> they did not. Had, but, had but they been clubbing? Had they been out too yeah, late? Probably get been out clubbing and something like that. Did you tell them you're a United fan? No, I, 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 I said to myself, okay. Seattle, you have to be uh, you have to be a professional, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and uh, it was a very hard thing for me to, because uh, uh, did did you want to be a supporter or did you want to be a, uh, a professional? But just once in your life, yeah, it's not every day. Yeah, yeah I, I know, burger. I know, I know. But uh, t today, I, I'm very regretful, but that I didn't was a supporter that that time. But I have to be uh, a uh, professional. So I drove them to the to the airport, and they were reunited with uh, with their uh, teammates, and uh, they say they were very. Uh well, David Beckham still tells a story to this day of this ultra professional taxi driver <laughs> in Bergen. Yeah, and he's come I all the way. I hope so. David Beckham. Just <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 it's, it it was like an experience for of a lifetime, of course. Good luck with, with the branch and what you're yeah, doing. Thank I think you very it's much. fantastic that, that you all come and, and you watch the games. And I know this isn't a, a vintage Manchester United team, but we still have moments like that from Marouane Fellaini, who'll probably be leaving the club quite quite soon. Uh, Bojan, which players, which positions do United need to, to change this summer? Where would you be looking to improve that team, to make it one who can close that huge gap on Manchester City? The only thing I'm sure, we don't need another keeper. <laughs> I think he's okay, David De Gea. He's a world class, you know, without him, where would we be? And every season, every week, he does it. You know, we've been in some, we had some terrible years behind us. And to have a world class keeper that comes from Spain, comes from Madrid, wanted to stay and prove us wrong because we were thinking, thank God for that fax machine. He <laughs> was like that, you know, he deserves a lot of credit. I would like to change the left back position and we need another center midfielder. And I would go to Italy, to Lazio, knock on the door and pay money for Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, a Serbian central midfielder. He would be a great acquisition to this team as well. There's a shock. I know he's Serbian. We need more Serbians, you know. <laughs> Vidic, Matic. We are all right, you know. A bit temperamental, but we are all right. And also, I would like to see Martial play more. I really hope he doesn't leave the club. He has that turn of pace. When he gets the ball, he gets at the defenders. And people like that, when they're young, they need confidence. It's hard every game, probably coming off the bench, and everybody in here, everybody Old Trafford, they're expecting him to do well. They're expecting him to beat his man, to score that goal. He needs run of games. If he's going to play Sanchez, I would actually move him to the right because Pogba, as you know, he loves to operate in that left role, and sometimes him and Sanchez run into the same areas, and we don't have no width because Ashley Young usually cuts back on his right foot as well. So... That is a little bit from me but and the things but I but see. Boyan, Boyan. Shuttle, my man. Yeah. <laughs> how, how about uh, Dybala from uh, Juventus? He's not looking at Dybala. No, listen, uh, Dybala is a great player. He's a great talent, especially in that little hole. But we have too many players centrally that like to be in the mix. I think we need width. When we play that center, you need to change, switch. And when you get them switches, if you have Martial pulling to your left, he's going to give you options, and we need movements. And when Gaffa was the current Gaffa in Inter, Porto, Chelsea, them clubs all about winning. And when you win, you accept that type of football. Why he left Real Madrid? Because Real Madrid, like Manchester United, breed on something else. You have to win with class, you have to win with style, and you have to take the game to the opposition. That is the difference. If you're going to play like this, you need to win the league, and then even I would be a little bit happy because we're still singing at 20 times. I won 21, you know? What, what do you think? Raise your hands if you think you'd like to see Anthony Martial state United. You think he's talented? Oh, yeah. And what about if you think he's not good enough to make it, Martial? 
So almost all of you. What about Paul Pogba? Stay at United? So pretty unanimous for two players who are being linked with a, a move away. David De Gea, I can't believe you all want De Gea to leave the people of Bergen. <laughs> I'm no, joking. What, Andy, one more thing. just Fellaini, yeah. stay. Four good United fans of Bergen from I can't 4, believe 000. you want Martial to leave, but Fellaini to stay. Are you sure you're red? Are you sure? Steve, Steve we need Armstrong. We talk, me and you. But we're talking in Swedish later on. I explain you some things. Okay, when we normally record a lot of these podcasts from the away ends, Steve will, the, the final whistle will finish, the United fans will be singing, usually when we've won, decent away record this season, decent defence as well, and Steve will get in among fans, some of whom occasionally might have had some alcohol, and get that instant reaction. It's one of the things I love about, about this podcast. When United lose, the verdicts tend to be so hard and critical do you think these people have regrets, Steve, when they wake up the next morning and listen back what they've said? Only me. <laughs> um, no, I, I, the, the beauty of what we do at these away games is, is, is it, raw opinion is, you know, it, it doesn't have to be right. You know, we can sit here and I've been thinking about things. For, but when you can capture that really raw opinion and the way it comes out often, it's just very, very entertaining. And more often than not, it's, you know, it's about... Um, you know, somebody broke off a conversation um, the other day about the game to tell me that there was a dwarf stood behind me. You know, and what the hell that's got to do with football? Yeah, nobody knows, but it's, you kind of get that. You can't control what's in front of you. So, you know, it's not staged. Um, it's not particularly well produced or professionally delivered, but, you nope. know, it works because ultimately that's what the fan culture, the fan experience is all about. So, you know, I don't think so. I think most of them... Um, I think most of them know full well. They know me now as well, and obviously, you know, more often than not, I'm in just as bad a state as they are, and they kind of know. Um, some of them come and find me because they want to say something particularly. Um, you know, you get it often if some players had a bit of a, a horror show and people absolutely make a beeline for you. The one thing we do tend to get when people do get quite serious, because, listen, amongst all of the laughing and the joking and the nonsense, um, which ultimately is what going to the match is all about, there's some brilliant opinion out there and nobody, I don't, you know, no disrespect to players, pundits and everything else, nobody knows their club like fans and they never will do. Um, and they're the ones that are there every week. They're the ones that go home and away every week, all up and down the country. So, you know, their opinion, you know, is, is very, very informed more often than not. But people get on us very, very quickly sometimes, particularly about the atmosphere. Um, people tend to get really, really irate when the atmosphere is not good. Um, or when tickets, you know, uh, end up in corporate hands and people who are proper matchgoers don't end up getting access to the game. So you do get the odd rant about that. But um, no, I don't think so. I think the Mancunian culture in particular is a, is a very, very different one. Um, Mancunians don't tend to care very much about things. They don't let things worry, worry them too much. And I, I do tend to pick and choose who I bump into because um, you want people who are going to give you an opinion about a game. You want somebody who's going to say something absolutely ridiculously funny. Um, and ultimately you want somebody who isn't really going to be too bothered when they listen to it back. Um, I think the challenging ones are the ones who have taken the day off work sick and then appeared on the podcast um, and then get the boss listening to it the following day and then they get fired. That's only happened once, uh, but that was quite funny. But no. uh, Dave here uh, was very good friends, I think I'm allowed to say this, with, with Wes Brown. And Wes used to come round to his house and started bringing other players. So put yourself in, in Dave's shoe. Dave's shoes. You're at home. Every Monday night, one of your mates comes round, plays a few games of cards, and he asks if he can bring his mates. But all of his mates are Manchester United first-teamers. What then happens is for a period of several years, they're all coming round to Dave's house to play cards. The, did the neighbours, like, spot what was going on? Yeah, what we, did your partner at say? Well, at first, my, my wife knew some of the, the wives, players' wives anyway, so she, she used to go out with them and the lads would come round. And it wasn't just players, there was other lads that did normal jobs, you know, well, to them it was a normal job, but, you know, and word, word would get round and um, all these Bentleys and Ferraris would start turning up, Chris Eagles <laughs> and his Lamborghini, um, when he played two games for the first team. Um, and kids would be there with mobile phones and filming and knocking on to ask for pictures with players. Um, and basically, it, it became a bit of a bit of a legend around Manchester. That this, that we, and I must say, at this point, 
we we all just put forty pounds into the pot, right? And these players obviously earned a lot more money than some of the lads. But it was forty pounds. That was a maximum. And then this poker game took place, and it took about four or five hours, and the winner would take all. And you know the lads are ultra competitive. The players. You don't get to play for a club like Manchester United without having a very competitive edge to your, to your nature. And it got a bit. It could get a bit tasty, and people would get angry and throw cards at each other, and you know. Um, then word word had, word had spread, and some very sort of well-known poker professionals would be coming up to Manchester in search of this mythical Manchester United poker game, and and they didn't believe that it was just forty pounds each. You know, it was forty pound. That was it. And there'd be guys turning up. I think you know one of them, Michael Greco, is an actor in England in a in a famous soap opera for a while. He he became a quite a serious poker professional, and he he, he just refused to believe that this game was £40 each. So, um, yeah, there was some good sayings. Right? It, it, crazy looking back now, Gerard Piquet was there every week. With Shakira? No, I, I, he, he, he wasn't. Shakira coming around to your house to play <laughs> poker. Yeah, she, she, Sorry, she, she didn't. She, really well. she, <laughs> she, wasn't, she wasn't with him then. I think he was with Sally from Salford or something. But um, no, I think um, he's, he's upgraded since he left Manchester in more ways than one. There's nothing wrong with Sally from Salford. No, there isn't. You've mate, got, no. Each of you have got 20 seconds each to answer the following questions. Your greatest moment as a footballer, and for the non-footballers, your greatest uh, Manchester United game that you've seen. Bojan, game, 20 seconds now. 20 seconds. You get punished. Playing for all the over. clubs I loved since I was a little kid. Game. Born in Belgrade, Red Star Belgrade, won the league in the cup. AIK Stockholm won the league in the cup and the Super Cup. and won the Jimmy Murphy Young Player of the Year 2000 for Manchester United. So it's been quite decent. Steve Armstrong, you've watched United around the world for years and years. Greatest game you've ever seen? The greatest game I've ever seen was uh, the semi-final replay in 1999. Uh, best game of football, but my best moment was Aston Villa 2, Manchester United 3 in the FA Cup where we came back from two down, scored three very, very late goals. Uh, I ran on the pitch three times. I lost a shoe on the first one. I found a trainer on the second one and I got arrested on the third one and that was quite, quite a memorable night. Dave Goddard. Worst game, Aston Villa away because some dickhead nicked one of my trainers. Um, uh, best... Best game was, uh, favourite memory was winning the Cupman's Cup in Rotterdam, uh, first season back in Europe as a, as a fan and being young enough and to enjoy Amsterdam and having uh, your mates with you, watching your team in Europe after a ban of five years. Lee, you've got an extra five seconds because you've played a bit few more games than the other people. Uh, well, no, I'm just short. Uh, I suppose there's too many, too many to pick out one. I think uh, signing for Man U in the first place. Uh, I think uh, hat-trick at Highbury. Um, first Premier League Cup Winners' Cup in '91, um, Young Player of the Year in '91, um, the the double in '96 and '94 yeah. was it? Uh, thank God, thank God, I got them years right. Uh, <laughs> just too many to mention. Uh, England appearances and all pick a game, one game, one where game. You walked off that field and thought life is wonderful. Uh, that would probably be Arsenal hat-trick at Highbury that was Arsenal 2 Manchester United 6 that was yeah and how old were you 19 I was 19 I scored 2 in my right foot and 1 with my header and, and they were Arsenal were the best header, team in the land uh, yeah, they, they, yeah I think they let in 17 goals all season so to go and score 6 there was a pretty special night and well winning the treble was was alright but um, <laughs> I think I think the best one for me was um, the semi-final of the FA Cup in 2004. Um, I I just get a sense that the team the, the team were carried by the supporters that day, and um, we started the the game as underdogs. But I just thought with that support, there's no way we're losing today, and it turned out that we didn't. So I just got this feeling that you know they, they were absolutely dragged to victory by the support, and that that's what made it special for me that day. But for the players, the best player you played with. And for the for the other lads, the best play that you've seen in a United shirt, 15 seconds each. Punishment if you go over. Best player, I'm going to have to pick two. I'm going to have to pick Brian Robson for Manchester United. He was absolutely a leader and absolutely unbelievable. Uh, and, uh, and, and Paul Gascoigne for England. He was a, a sensational player. Best player I've seen play for Manchester United. Best or favourite Best. Best Lee Sharp. No. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Uh, Stop swapping money. 
Cristiano Ronaldo is just the best ever. I mean, anyone who says otherwise, is, I would question their sanity. But Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> Alan Clarkson, sorry. Yeah. Steve. That I've seen. I think when you've seen the likes of Scholes, Beckham, Sharp, um, this this fella here as well, he was all right. No, joking apart. When you've seen the greats like Scholes and the Ronaldos, the fact that I still to this day put Brian Robson head and shoulders above anybody just shows how important he was. And I think he was a really, really significant part at a time where without Robson's control in the dressing room and influence in the dressing room at a time where Ferguson was really struggling, I don't think history would have gone on to repeat what it did in the end and I think he was so so instrumental on the pitch even more so off it so I think he deserves my recognition for that Boach this is the easiest question of the night as a youth team players we used to gather around the pitch ad admire England's best midfielder Paul Scholes he was a joy to watch he was absolutely wonderful not just because I'm a red but for me, Paul Scholes is better than Lampard, he's better than Gerrard. He's one of them that Xavi and Yesten Zidane speak about, and this speaks levels above. Outside England, for me, no question of a doubt, the ginger man, Paul Scholes. And I have a, you know, it's, a, it's, an, easy it's an easy answer, really. It's Ronaldo. Um, I, I wish it wasn't, right, because so. I've got a lot more favourites than him, but <laughs> Ronaldo, unfortunately, is the best player ever to play for United. Down to the last 14 minutes now. Um, what's your lowest moment in football, either as a fan or as a player, your worst moment? I think waking up in the morning and thinking about football as a job. Uh, it was a lot of mornings that actually I wanted to give up. I had a lot of injuries in my head. I was still that big talent coming through. That never happened. Career, my career was all right, but it just went downhill after Manchester United, even though I played for big clubs. It just getting into the terms with that, that I was just more than a football player. I was a human being as well. I had my family, I had my friends. I had to live. But waking up in the morning, walking the streets, and thinking that everybody was actually looking at me, thinking, how shit is this guy? There was, no, but that was tough. That was tough. It's hard for people to understand that. But on the other side now, looking at the supporters, I'm thinking, how many supporters have, have done that, what I've done? They would have killed of a chance to put that beautiful red shirt on, to run out, to be part of that club for so many years. So I'm privileged, I'm lucky, the games doesn't matter. I was still part of something that I would always cherish. And also, footballers are also human beings. So think about it as well when you go and kill them on social networks. Steve? Lowest point as a fan? Anything that involves getting beat by Manchester City is bad. Um, obviously, I was. Yeah, by a mile. Yeah, by an absolute. Yeah, I grew. I grew up. I grew up in a whole blue family, and I also the whole of only dealt with City fans at school. Um, so um, yeah, it, it was always City was my biggest rival, and still is. Um, any defeat to them is bad. The five-one in nineteen eighty-nine was just horrific. Um, because at the time United had built what was a decent side and they got absolutely taken to the cleaners. It was a bad day all round. I actually got beaten up three separate times that day by Manchester City fans coming outside of the stadium on three different occasions. So it wasn't a great day out, to be honest. Dave, before we come to you, a one-word answer each of your favourite Norwegian Manchester United player. Bojan. Ronnie Onsen, the Iceman. Steve. Yeah, I'm trying to be controversial, but I can't be. Dave. Um, Come back to you, Steve. Oli Gunnar, Solskjaer. Lee. Uh, I'd say Oli Gunnar. And Solskjaer. Oli. Steve. Yeah, probably. So Oli in this scope pole is likes the greatest ever Norwegian Manchester United player. <laughs> I, I, I would have said Eric Neverland, but you know we will agree to disagree. Dave, lowest moment as a red. Uh, I'm going to try and pick one that's not so obvious was... Um, in 1992, we, 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 we all as fans thought this is going to be the year because obviously we hadn't won the league for so long. And there was a game, I think it was Bank Holiday Monday maybe, against Nottingham Forest. And if we'd have won that, I think we'd have won the league. And we, we, I think Mark Hughes, who was a big fan favourite and great player, was left on the bench maybe. I don't know if that's right. Someone probably correct me. But, um, and Neil Webb got substituted. We were losing 1-0. And, he, and he, just, he, he took about half an hour <laughs> to get off the pitch. And I, I've never disliked a Man United player as much as I did at that moment. And that, that uh, there was a lot, of obviously, getting beat by City 5-1, 6-1. They're terrible, but I've forgotten about them until Steve brought it up um, again. Um, so that one, Nottingham Forest. Poor Neil Webb. What was Neil Webb likely? Uh, he was a good lad. 
He, he liked a nice glass of red or three night before a game. So uh, we're breaking a story here that Neil Webb had a drink problem. No, no not at all. He's, good he's, lad. He was a good lad, yeah. yeah. He, was, he, was a, he was a proper player as well. Uh, just unfortunate that uh, not long after signing for United, he, he snapped his Achilles playing for England. Uh, always lacked a little bit of pace anyway. And then after the Achilles tendon injury, um, really couldn't, wasn't as mobile as he, he needed to be and, and struggled a little bit. You had injury problems yourself. You must have had times when you, you were pretty desperate. There's a, a passage in Roy Keane's book where he talks about coming back from an injury and seeing you and you were also injured. What, what was the lowest point in your time in football? Was it injury, even injury-related? Yeah, I think I think so. I think every time a, a footballer or a sportsman gets injured and you can't do what you love doing, uh, it's it's a tough time. You don't you don't knock around with your teammates. You don't see the manager. You don't see, which is probably a good thing for me to be fair, not to see the manager. But uh, that was probably a highlight of the downlight. Um, but injuries, yeah. I mean, vi viral meningitis for for three or four months, where I missed uh, the first half of the season. I snapped my cruciate, so I was out for a season. Calf strains, fractured ankles. Uh, all sorts going on but yeah when you, when you can't play and you can't train every day and you're in at different times to all the other players and you're sort of out of sync with everyone uh, it's, a, it's a very lonely place You were very high profile as a young footballer and would you like to be a footballer now because footballers are even more high profile you get a load of stick on social media how would your personality have dealt with that Obviously, the wages would have been slightly higher as well Yeah, I wouldn't mind being a footballer for about three months now to be fair Uh <laughs> Just for the wages, but I think I think social media it's it's a it's a funny one because everyone goes around talking about football now and oh it's not like it used to be and everybody reminisces about we don't have the characters in the game and no one does this and no one does that well well social media absolutely kiboshes that anyway because as soon as someone steps out of line and he's not Mr Perfect on two hundred thousand pound a week then you get absolutely nailed for it so the players have to watch what they say they have to watch where they go they have to hide away a little bit and, and protect their own sort of identity a little bit and uh, it's, it's a shame because you don't really get to know the lads off the pitch and a lot of the lads can see can, can be seen as arrogant or aloof and actually they're just very protective um, and, and safeguarding their own sort of sanity um, away from social media and, and, and camera phones and, and all the rest of it and they, they all need a little bit of privacy so it's a, it's, a, it's a tough call. It mustn't have been a bad thing being a young successful Manchester United player. Oh it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's the best thing ever. You know, you, le you leave school, you want to be a footballer. I went down to Torquay in the fourth division, playing in front of 1,500 fans and getting kicked shit out of that in the, in, the, in the fourth division. And then all of a sudden, uh, sort of six, 12 months later, you're playing in front of 45,000. Uh, your kit's washed for you. You get a fresh kit every day in training. You get, you know, you, the kit man puts your kit out for you. And, and it's just, a, it's, a, it's another level. It's another level. You don't, until you've been there and you've run out that tunnel, uh, and you've run out in that kit and the fans are going nuts. Uh, Is it hard to keep your feet on the ground? I remember Gary Bailey telling me that no girl would look at him. As soon as he got in Manchester United's first team, within weeks, he's like, you know what, Gary, you've become really good looking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, that does tend to happen a little bit, to be fair. None of us are yeah. jealous at all. <laughs> no, it's... Uh it, it is. It's, it's just. And people come out the woodwork. You'd see like old school friends. Hi, Lee. Not heard from you for oh, a while. Oh, you, you have more mates than you can ever dream of. Uh, everybody wants tickets. Everybody. It's funny because when I was at United, obviously, people are ringing me up. Oh, I want to come this week. Can you get us a ticket? As soon as I moved to Leeds, fucking the phone dried up. No one was faxing me. No one was texting me. It was just, I had no mates at all. It was shocking. You're like checking your phone still works. Yeah. And low point as a red. Well, I. The game where Aguero won the league oh. for City, yeah, um, I was actually sat in the Sunderland then that day and um, I'd got my ticket off um, a, a, a lad that I know up there who I went to school with and um, when, when it got to 88 minutes and City were 2-1 down, I looked um, parallel to me on one of the exits and I could actually see the Premier League trophy on top of a table. And I just thought that was the first time all day I allowed myself to believe that we were going to win the league. And as, as, I, as I just started to believe, City's equaliser went in. So I just kept quiet for a couple of minutes. And um, I actually threw my ticket away because I was worried that I was on the second row of the Sunderland end and I was intent, fully intending on going on the pitch at the time. So I, I, that was it. I threw my ticket away and City scored the winner. So... I, I, have, I have some belief that that's my own fault. <laughs> we try and... Yeah, it was. You've just cost us a league. throwing your ticket away for? <laughs> because I didn't want my friend um, getting backlash if they, caught, if they got my ticket on me. 
we try and <laughs> give fans a, a platform and stick up for fans and fight for fans and we've always done that. If there's one thing you could change about football, a nice short answer, what would it be? Be it the introduction of safe standing terraces, wage cap or, or whatever. Bojan, I know it's, I know it's one, a difficult one to just put you straight on the spot. No, I don't have to. I've been thinking about it quite a long time actually. I knew this question was coming. Wage caps on youth players. I Why? think that's changed because money goes into their hand, heads yeah. and when they move abroad, leave their country, leave their family, when things don't go well as a young player, you turn back onto your money, you go into your nightclubs, there's your woman. Everything else but football is important at that time. So I would have put wage cap for youth players until you're good enough, then you're going to get your contract. And Sir Alex was really good with that in youth players, while other clubs overpaid to get them, paying their par parents, buying them houses. I mean, what's, what is, what's happening to this world sometimes, I ask myself. Steve, what, could you, what would you change? Football as a supporter thing has got this sort of elitism to it and fans claim to be, I'm the biggest this, I'm the biggest that. Um, I believe football should be accessible to everybody. I think the fact that I live in Manchester doesn't make me any more of a fan than you guys. Um, if anything, I'd say you guys are even more committed than I could ever be. Um, and I think it's wrong that out-of-town supporters, whether they be out-of-town in the UK or out-of-town uh, throughout the rest of the world, um, get tagged with this, that you don't have the right to go and watch Manchester United, a club that you all love and adore, and I think that's really wrong. So for me, football's got to be accessible, and for football to be accessible, it needs to be affordable, and neither of those two things at the moment uh, are available to us. There's more money in the game than there's ever been, and not enough of that is going to make grounds bigger, to make grounds more accessible, and more importantly, to get the youth of the supporters into that stadium. My first, I don't know what it's called in Norway, yeah, we call it pocket money in the UK, where you get your sort of spends off your parents, I don't know what it's called over here. Sandre may be able to tell me that later on, but um, he gives me pocket money at the minute. We, um, I used to get two pounds per week, and that was enough for me to be able to get to and from Old Trafford into the stadium for 90 pence. Uh, get myself a programme, get myself a drink and a, and a pie and that was enough for me to be able to get in there. I don't know what the going rate for children's pocket money is these days but you need something in the region of £100 to now have a match day and that is just fundamentally wrong. When you look around at the average age of the support, particularly away games at Manchester United, it's probably late 40s, possibly even touching 50. That's wrong. There is nothing coming through that replaces the generation. Football after this generation, the generation that we all come from, is going to die on its feet unless it makes the game accessible and it makes the game affordable so everybody can get into that stadium. Dave? Yeah, both those points are spot on and I couldn't agree more with that. £5 for under 18 should be, should be across the board, across the Premier League, I think. Um, Grounds should be extended to allow more kids in because they're the future. They're all sat at home now playing PlayStation or, you know, whatever they do. Um, I think something else that, again, the fans are at the bottom of the food chain um, a lot of the time when, when football is concerned. So kickoff times is a big bugbear of mine because you shouldn't expect guys to finish work in, in Manchester at five, six o'clock and then the team's playing at eight o'clock in London because Sky move it at 10 days notice. So I think kickoff time should be either decided as soon as the season starts, they should have to say the kickoff times for the whole season rather than changing them with 10 games to go. You guys, a lot of you guys obviously make a lot more effort than we have to do to come uh, from Norway to games. So flights, hotels, things like that. So it, I, I'm sure it would help you guys a lot if the, the kickoff times were well known about you know, six months in advance, they shouldn't be changed at the whim of, you know, Sky. And I think kickoff times is a big bugbear of a lot of football fans who actually make the effort to go to the game rather than sit in their armchair with a few cans of lager watching it on TV. Lee, what would you change? Uh, I, I agree with all the lads. I, th I, think, uh, I think safe standard would be a good one as well. Um, uh, the way, uh, I know a lot of ends now, especially away fans like to stand in seated areas and I think that's more dangerous than, than anybody having to, to stand up on a normal terrace. So uh, I think safe standing I think would, would bring back a lot more atmosphere to the grounds which would make the teams enjoy the game more and maybe play a bit better. I, always, I also agree with the boys about the, uh, the price of a, of a match day ticket. I think with the amount of money that Sky are putting in and, and sponsorships bringing in and, and the money that the clubs are bringing in now 
I don't see any reason why it can't be 20 quid a ticket for an adult and, and a five or a tenner for a kid um, and make it properly affordable for everybody. And like you say, it's, you know, you're paying 30, 40 quid for a ticket, a programme, a pie. Um, you've got to get there, you've got to get home. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's extortionate. And you, tr you try and introduce your kids. I've got two little kids now. And if I was to try and take my kids to the, to the football, two kids and the dad, it's, it's, uh, it's the price of a family holiday. And um, I, I think they're, they're, they're killing the football fan. Can you remember celebrating in front of a, a United end, which was anything but safe at Goodison Park when you scored a goal there? <laughs> yeah, well, it was all was safe. Was there an interaction with a, a was, corner flag? There was all sorts going well, go on. Go on, just try and stand up and show <laughs> no, what, what it was like. What did you do? Did you bend it put, back? Put, put my hip oh, look, look. Do you want to see him do it or not? Yeah. No, no. There's no corner flags. I need 40,000 to be able to do it. If you can get 40,000 people in here, I'll do it. He'll do it in private later on in that back room. <laughs> and quickly, one thing you'd change. Well, these, you know, some very good points there, but mine is my life was a lot simpler when Manchester City was shit, so I'll probably yeah. say that. <laughs> Each of you have got a guess now. You've got a one quick answer. How many clubs did Bojan play for? And the winner to the nearest 10 wins a car. Steve? 11. 11. <laughs> 14. 14. 15. 15. 10. 10. 10. We have one from the audience. Young lady here, how many clubs do you think Bojan Djordic played for? Seven. Seven. None of you got it right. 622. <laughs> no. <laughs> 13. That's some going, that Boj. Twelve. Well done. <laughs> right, we're going to do some Q, uh, some some question and, uh, and answers. Well done, Steve. You've won a car. Your car's waiting you've outside. A, you've won you a, you've won a Bojan signed shirt. <laughs> the Bojan signed shirt is waiting in the car for you. Um, um, now, finally, just as we finish the podcast section off, we've got loads of questions here, which will be uh, from yourselves, which will, which won't be on the podcast. Where will Manchester United be in a year's time? In Manchester. Okay, fine. <laughs> I, think, I think we can put money on that. Hopefully, closer to Manchester City. I'm a bit worried that Liverpool are going to be strong next season if they bring some players in. We need to actually step up a little bit. We cannot get comfortable and we need to be pushing. Under 20, it's close to 20 points, the gap in Premier League. Honestly, when the season started... Nobody here, I don't think, thought that we were going to be that far behind because it was a positive vibes. We played with more aggression. We were more offensive. That first game against West Ham, I think, if I'm... Yeah, Old Trafford, West Ham. I was thinking, listen, we are in for this season. And that Liverpool game came at Anfield. And then when City beat us at Old Trafford, season died. We cannot let that happen again. Premier League cannot die around Christmas time. We need to be there next May. Yeah. Steve? Uh, the manager's got a really important summer coming up and it's going to start at Wembley. If he wins that FA Cup, then everything becomes a means to an end. So therefore, he can just about justify what this season's been because we've got a trophy at the end of it. If we don't win the FA Cup, um, I think that's going to absolutely heap pressure onto him in a transfer scenario, a transfer window that will always be, whenever there's a big summer tournament, it gets delayed. Um, everybody sort of waits to see what happens in the tournament. So it's usually a very, very chaotic sort of end to a transfer period. I think he's got to get away next season very, very, very well. If we're sort of four or five points behind in three or four games, I think it starts to get very, very difficult for the manager. I do think, however, that the more teams that get competitive in this league, the better it actually is for a Jose Mourinho Manchester United team because he's the most pragmatic and tactical manager out there. What he won't be able to do is create a team that gets 95 points and competes with a runaway leader like City. If the likes of Tottenham, the likes of Liverpool, the likes of Arsenal get themselves into the mix as well, I actually think that suits United. So if four or five other teams get that act together... I'd be absolutely confident that United will be fighting for the title next season. I think if we don't get anybody else coming into the mix, you're just going to see City run away from it again. And I think that is just about the worst case scenario for, for everybody concerned. And I think that will probably spell the end for the manager. Dave? Uh, I think the summer again, if we win the FA Cup, it ends the season on a highlight. Last season did. Um, but 
we are changing the transfer windows changing. I don't know if people know this, probably do, but transfer window is now going to close on the eve of the start of the Premier League season. So you're not going to have this scenario where with three games gone and struggling, teams are going out and splashing 100 million on a on a panic buy. So the summer's hugely important. The World Cup always uh, causes its own issues with players being away. Managers like to wait. If you buy a player for 80 million and he gets injured during the World Cup, you've, you're back to square one. So a lot of managers wait. Some managers like to get it done early. So it's a hugely important summer for his team of, um, of coaches and recruiters who, who they'll have their own targets in mind. And he needs his transfers to work, I think, because if you were put Zlatan aside, um, the signings Jose Mourinho's made so far, they've not exactly covered themselves in glory. Mkhitaryan, not really very good. Lindelof, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to play. Eric Bay doesn't seem to play. Um, Pogba, well, we could talk all night about him. So he really needs to make a few signings that are going to impress people and show that he still can you know, pick the right players for the right position. So I think this time next year will largely depend on what happens in the next three months. And... I, I really do think we could win the league next year. Um, we are. I think we could still on track to get 86 points, which is, for many years, that would have won the league. I don't think City will get as many points as they have done this season. So we're just hoping that we continue with the gradual improvement points-wise and put a bit of pressure on City. And I, I think we'll see that they when they've been under pressure this season, they've really struggled. So hopefully we can do that in terms of league position next year. Lee, where will United be? Apart from Manchester, in uh, 12 months' time. I, I think it's a tough one. I, I, I agree with Steve. I think if, if the likes of Chelsea, Arsenal, uh, Liverpool, Tottenham all sort of spend and, and grow stronger and make the t- top six really strong, I think it will help United more because I think more teams will take points off City. Um, but I also foresee a bit of a problem with the manager's attitude towards the way he wants to play the game. Um, we've seen our Man City play. Everybody's seen our Man City play, and no one can really stop them. Liverpool are playing in a similar sort of way. Apart from their their sort of poor run towards the start of the season, I think they would probably be take, trying to nick second off us at the moment. The way they're playing, um, and then you've got Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea. We're all going to go out and strengthen, and, and all going to be bang at it next year. And, and, and the manager for me plays a little bit of a slow game um, that, that doesn't trouble enough teams. He's gone to too many lower down the league teams that have, that have dealt with United. No, no one can deal with City and Liverpool when they're in their, in their pomp and, and at full tilt. Um, and unless we change the way we play and play at a higher tempo and, and disrupt teams a little bit more, then I think he, he may struggle a little bit next year. Thanks for listening to the latest United We Stand podcast brought to you by Red Army Bet. We offer the best available odds on a United win as well as a host of special bets created by Reds. With half our net profits being donated to United supporters groups, Red Army Bet is about fans, by fans, for fans. Check out our website redarmybet.com or download the app. Red Army Bet, we all follow United.